Chapter 4, Deciding on a Lawyer. My sister Janice was born July 19, 1954, so she was 53 today. I picked up my cell phone and called her. I figured that while I was driving to Centerport, it would keep my mind in another direction. Hello, Michael. Hello, little sister. Happy birthday. There was a little chill in the conversation because my sister is omnipotent. And over the previous few months, we'd been having a disagreement about the care of my parents. Also, she went behind my back and pro procured power of attorney for my parents' estate without my knowledge. It's a long story, and once again, the kind of material that makes itself another book, and very interesting at that. We spoke for a while, and I related my memories of when she was born, made her laugh, and we hung up cordially. I never mentioned the prior evening to her. I wasn't in the mood and certainly didn't want to open up the possibility of a potential lecture. I arrived at Nikki's and I must admit I usually would have a stoli on the rocks and a couple of olives and uh, prior to lunch and two or three glasses of Chardonnay with lunch. Susan, the bartender, was shocked that I ordered a club soda. I am intelligent enough to know that I didn't need to get myself into any more trouble. I had lunch, bullshitted with some of the guys at the bar, and I was off. Got home about 5 o'clock, checked my messages, and poured myself a vodka. As I'm staring at the space for about 15 minutes, the cell phone rings. Caller ID says restricted. I answer. Michael? Lawyer Kleinhardt, what can I do for you? I explained everything to him. He listens, tells me that he'd been in court all day taking care of the same issues, and says he'd take the case for 2000 bucks that there's no rush because we have until August 3rd. Come to the office, get a good night's sleep, and not to worry. I explained that I had contacted a couple of other lawyers and wasn't sure what I was going to do. He says to call him in a few days and let him know what I decided. I thank him, tell him I will, and hang up. At that moment, for some reason, I felt a lot better. I think I'm going to use this guy. But I hadn't heard from Fred Annabelle. I'll wait. Concentrate on the good things. I still have my license. I'm alive. No one got hurt. And Kleinhard made me feel better. Two days later, Freddie Annabelle still hasn't gotten back to me. So I decide to call Kleinhard, set up an appointment, and go to his office. Never met him before. And as often as the case, he looks nothing like I pictured. We sit down, he looks at the tickets and says he'll take care of me for the two grand he quoted me. He knows the judge, and DWIs are not like they used to be. The Nassau County DA is on a mission, and that two or three years ago, because I have a pristine record, I'd probably get away with a slap on the wrist. Kleinhardt puts me in his book and tells me to bring a thousand bucks, a retainer, to the court that day. The only thing he asks is that I'm not going to use him to let him know in advance. He even tells me where I should park at the courthouse. He says that when he dies, he wants to come back as the Chinese guy who owns the parking lot. No pressure, very matter of fact, I like this guy. He also introduced me to his father, Charlie Kleinhardt, who's been a criminal attorney for over 40 years. I asked Charlie, I'm in trouble, aren't I? A bit, he says, but don't worry about it. My son is the best. Once again, I feel better. 
Three days later, Fred Annabelle calls me. I explain what happened. He tells me to come into the office the next Tuesday at 5 p.m. and he'll take care of me. Tuesday rolls around and, coincidentally enough, it's my mother's 85th birthday. I love my mother, so I decide that after I see Fred, I'll drop in on Mom. That day I had appointments set up. I still had to keep working so I could pay for all of this. Plus, I didn't know how long I'd be without a license and, maybe more important, working kept my mind off things. About 10 minutes to 5, I pull into the parking lot of the building where Fred had his office. Head in parking only, the sign said. Not realizing what this meant, I had to drive into a spot, and since there was no car in front of me, I pull forward, so that when I get done, I won't have to back out. I can just pull away. I walk into the building, find Fred's office, knock on the door, and after a few seconds, Fred answers with a warm greeting. I've always liked Fred and always loved and respected his older brother, Bob. Bob was like a big brother to me. I went to Nassau Community College my first two years, and like most 17-year-olds, I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into. And in my case, I was probably more insecure than I led people to believe. I was asked to pledge a fraternity almost immediately, but decided against it for several reasons. I was in a high school fraternity. I got my ass paddled had to put up with all the bullshit and hazing and didn't feel like going through it again. Plus, I thought I was in love. I was working part-time at Sears, planned on going out for the wrestling team, so I didn't need the crap that goes along with pledging a fraternity. But those guys kept after me, especially Bob, and we became good friends. So in the second semester, I relented. In retrospect, it was an experience. I met some nice people, met some babes, etc., Hell Night was a blast. Myself and three other guys got pl- uh, that I pledged with basically got tarred and feathered, blindfolded, and dropped off somewhere w- with supposedly no money. Bobby found a way to slip me 50 bucks. It was the night Martin Luther King was assassinated in 1968. We were dropped off in Shirley, New York, Long Island. We didn't know where the fuck we were. Bobby's 50 bucks came in handy. Anyway, Fred leads me back to his office and we made small talk. He tells me to sit down and I hand him the summonses. He looks them over and I could see his mind working, trying to find something wrong or some loophole. Right up front, I tell him I'd seen LaValle and Kleinart. Fred tells me Lee's a good lawyer. And then he asks me if LaValle introduced me to Joe Carbone. Yes, I tell him. And he informs me that Keith, Keith lets Carbone handle these things until there's a trial. Fred's up front with me. As I found out, they're not fooling around with DWIs in Nassau County. Fred tells me he'll be with me all the time, gives me information about Judge Goodsell, who handles these things. Tell me I'll have to go for Oasis counseling, and I'll have to put an interlock device in my car. He tells me that the interlock is a pain in the ass. Boy, was he right. But we'll get into that later. Fred assures me, as did Kleinhart, that he'd keep me out of jail for five grand. He tells me not to worry and to use the lawyer I feel most comfortable with, and that no matter what I choose to do, call him anytime, once again indicating that Klein Hart was a good lawyer. When I look back, I kind of think he didn't want to be involved, and I never saw him in court. But I did call him on a few occasions, and he returned my calls. We shook hands, I left the office, walked to my car, and what do you think I find? A fucking parking ticket. 
Head-in parking means you can't pull forward. The ass of your car has to be showing. This was a sign. Five grand and a parking ticket. I called Kleinhardt the next day. While driving away from Fred's office, I was actually laughing. Now I'm going to go see my mom. My sister Janice and her family are there having dinner. I kissed mommy, gave her a little stuffed animal I brought to her. And after they invited me to join them, I left. I wanted to get some takeout, go home, take off my suit, put my damn shorts on, have a cocktail, eat with a glass of wine, relax, and go to bed. Besides, as I mentioned earlier, there was a coolness between my sister and I due to the caretaker we were using. I felt my sister usurped her position. Plus, I wasn't too fond of my father right then. I loved him, always did, but there was always for some reason an inherent disregard. I finally got to bed up the next day, went through the rest of the week working with pretty much a business-like, business-as-usual attitude, except I wasn't drinking and driving. No more late afternoon lunches with a few cocktails. I was just biding my time. Saturday rolled around. I went up, got to the gym, light workout, and decided to go to the beach. I love the beach. It's always relaxed me. Back at home, the phone rings. Hi, Mr. Palermo. This is Christine, Gina's friend. Gina's okay, but we're at the hospital. Well, if you're at the hospital, she's not okay. She tells me what happened, and... Like a shot, I'm dressed in the car, and I'm on my way. I get there, walk into the emergency room, and there's Gina with a shitting grin on her face. Christine had explained to me on the phone that they had gotten drunk the night before and that as they were lying in the sun, Gina began to feel dizzy and lightheaded. When I saw her face, I knew she was okay. Hi, Daddy. And we both started to laugh. She told me what happened. The doctor had already examined her and determined that there were more serious cases in the emergency room, but would call her to come in for a final look-see. I asked her if she called her mother. Yes, Daddy. She calls me Daddy with a little whimper in her voice when she knows she's getting away with something. She tells me Mommy didn't answer, and she didn't want to scare her by leaving a message. Okay. I decide to get her home and then tell her mother. Now, I very well couldn't reprimand my daughter after I had just gotten a DWI, so we talked about it, and maybe we both learned a lesson. The nurse brought us to see the doc. He took her pulse, said everything was normal. He laughingly told her to stay off the booze. We got her home, and her mother was there. Please come in with me, Daddy. Okay. Who do you think got the lecture? Not Gina. She's my daughter. She's in the hospital and you don't call me. I'll leave the rest to your imagination.